in a series today entitled The Forgotten God, and I really believe it's going to touch your life, and I want you to get ready to receive. Get still, get quiet, don't be moving around, but get settled in and get ready to receive. Get your Bible out, get your notes out, get your kids uh, settled down, and let's get, it, get ready to receive from God. Amen? Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms. Would you say with me, the doctrine of baptisms? Of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Lord, I thank you for your presence that's here today. We don't want to do anything without your Holy Spirit. Move in this house today, Lord Jesus. Speak through me. Let my words not be mere words of man's wisdom, but lace them with the power of the Holy Spirit and the demonstration of your Son, Jesus. Open our hearts, our minds, and our spirits to hear from you and to be challenged by the power of your word. Touch us today. Fill us today. I thank you for it right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Last week, we began a series entitled The Forgotten God. If you weren't here, I want to uh, highly recommend and encourage you to get the podcast, get online, watch it on uh, on our website, uh, get a CD somehow, and and track with us because we were building some very important foundations uh, about the Holy Spirit. You see, it's my core belief that if you were to simply read this Bible in its entirety, especially the New Testament, without any religious preconceptions, without uh, any uh, background information. If I just handed you the Bible and said, read this, you would be convinced without a shadow of a doubt, especially after reading the New Testament, that, there is, that the Holy Spirit is paramount and fundamental to the life of the individual believer and the life of the New Testament church. And you couldn't understand how someone could go without the working of the Holy Spirit, if you just read. But, but it's my conviction that, that the American church has in great degree dismissed or simply quit teaching the truth about the Holy Spirit. We have forgotten the Holy Spirit. We stress the importance of the cross and that we should. We have stressed that God is the creator and the father and that we should. But Jesus himself said in Matthew 28, 19, go and make disciples of all nations. He didn't say go and make converts. He didn't say go and see how many people could raise their hands and and say a sinner's prayer and then go back to living their life. No, he said go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the father, the son and the Holy Spirit. Being a disciple is, is more than just uh, saying a prayer. It is understanding and, and, and teaching the truth of the Word of God, the entirety of the Bible. Why would Jesus want it to be all about the cross when there is more to the story, more to His story? The cross is the centerpiece of all human history. It is the most important thing that's ever happened in this world. But Jesus went to the cross not just so you could receive salvation. He went to the cross so that also the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the guide, the spirit of truth could be released into your life. Jesus himself said, it is to your advantage that I go away so that the helper may come. It is better that I go 
This is fascinating to me. The Son of God, God Himself says, it's better for you that I go. How could it be better for me to Jesus, for Jesus to leave except that the Holy Spirit come? So last week we made four points. Not going to belabor them all, but I want to just quickly hit them. The first was this. Just simply, the Holy Spirit is not an it, but a he. This is important because when we relegate the Holy Spirit to being a thing, it can become just an experience, just something that we can accept or deny, something that we can control, something that we can take a little bit of but leave the rest. No, no, the Holy Spirit is a He. The Holy Spirit is God. And if you deny the Holy Spirit, you are denying God. The Holy Spirit is an it, not a He. The second point, which I've already discussed, was that Jesus died in part for us to have the Holy Spirit. He commanded the disciples, do not leave Jerusalem without the Holy Spirit, without the promise of the Father. Don't go do what you've purposed to do. Don't go and, and, and preach the gospel. Don't go lay hands on the sick and see them recover. Don't do any of that. Don't go make disciples until you've received the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, one of the most important points that we made last week, if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, so do I. Jesus changed the deal because in Matthew chapter 3, when, when Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, John chapter 1 tells us that the Holy Spirit descended and remained upon him. In the Old Testament, the Spirit would descend upon a man but would then leave him. Now, the Holy Spirit can descend into your life and remain upon you. If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, so do I. And then finally, the Holy Spirit brings clarity. He is the comforter. He is the guide. He is the helper. He is the spirit of truth in your life. He brings clarity. Today, I want to make a little shift, and I, I want to talk about the three baptisms. Some of you say, well, I've never heard of three baptisms, Pastor Randall. I've only heard of one, or maybe two, or maybe none. Three baptisms. I, I want to help to establish what we believe, to bring clarity. The writer of Hebrews said the doctrine of baptisms. Doctrine is not a word that we use very much anymore. But it simply means what do we believe about God? Doctrines are what you believe about God or the word of God or the things of God. It's, it's what you believe. So I want to help us establish and bring clarity and understanding to the, the, the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is how you grow. You grow by opening up the scripture, reading the word of God and applying it to your life. The more you learn about the scripture, the more you grow. I believe that next year, one year from now, you're going to look different than you do today. Your life is going to have moved forward and grown because you will know more of the word than you do today. <clears throat> My wife is a girl who loves to shop. Do any of you ladies like to shop? Okay, a lot of you are lying. You're like, no, Pastor Ann, and I don't know. Your husband's next to you. He knows you like to shop. You don't have to lie. Uh, my wife loves to go to the Galleria, and uh, I hate the Galleria. It's too big. I get lost every time. You know something that amazing about going to the mall? You go to the, men, you know this. You go to the mall with your wife. Before you get out of the first store, your back goes out. Oh, you're perfectly healthy when you went in. One store, your back is out. Oh. Second store, your knee is gone. Oh, you're looking for, I got, I got to go sit down, babe. I, I can't, I just, I, you just keep shopping there. You see that? I'm going to sit right out there. And so you go and sit and you see, you see the benches that are in a circle and there's men wrapped all the way around. They're covered in bags. They look broke and miserable. 
can run 37 miles but can't walk through the mall. Y'all know what I'm talking about. The next thing you do, what's the next thing you do? Oh, my back's hurting. The next thing we do is we start looking for the Great American Cookie Company. Where is the cookie place? I, I can't do this without uh, some M&M chocolate chip cookies. I've, I've got to have them, right? Now, ladies, you know, my wife can walk through the Galleria like a, like a marathon runner in four-inch heels and never have a problem. Just, just running here and there. I mean, just buying and throwing and clothes and shopping and, oh, that's, that's too much money. And oh, no, there's nothing in that store. Run to the next. I mean, it's just like, and I, I, I'm just walking around looking confused. Like, I don't know what's going on right now. I, I, I feel money leaving me, but I don't know why. I, I don't know what you're saying. Oh, this is a great deal. It's a once in a lifetime. Once in a lifetime. We've got to have it. Something else that happens when, when men walk into a mall, most of us get completely lost. I walk into the gallery, I get turned around. I hate the gallery, it's too big. I don't know where I am. You stick me in the middle of the woods. I, I spent six, six days in the wilderness in Idaho el- hunting elk. No road signs, nothing. No problem. Never got lost. You put me in the mall and I cannot figure out where I am. Where is Dillard's again? I need to find Dillard's. Can somebody help me find Dillard's? I just get lost. And my wife, she has an internal GPS when she walks into a mall. You can ask her after the service where any store is in Parkdale Mall, and she tells you exactly where it is, what's to the left of it, what's to the right of it, what the best door is to go in, what the best entrance is to get right in, uh, how close that is to the Chick-fil-A. and every, I mean, she can tell it all to you. Now, she may not remember where she parked her car on the outside of the mall, but she's got a built-in GPS on where to go. How many ladies know what I'm talking about? You just, you just walk in, you just know. But for me, I get lost in the mall. It's just, there's, there's too many shops, there's just, it's just too many people. I, I get all turned around, so I have to go to the map. And when I go to the map, you notice it's only men around the map. Now, women, y'all give us a lot of grief for never wanting to stop and ask directions. We get in the mall, and we have to go to the map. Now, we may not stop when we're out on the highway, but in the mall, we go to the map. Ladies never look at the map. I never see ladies look at the map. They know right where they are. But men, we look at the map, and what is the first thing we do? We look for a little star with three little words beside it, which say what? Some of you have done this before. The first thing you do when you look at this map is you've got to look for that little star and those three words that say, you are here. Because now when you determine where you are in relation to where everything else is, now you can decide what this next steps are to get where you need to go. Today, I want to take you on a journey and walk you through the three baptisms, and that's exactly what we're going to do, is we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you, and for you to recognize you are here. I am right here. I am here, and I need to take this next step, or I am here, and I need to take this next step, or I am here, and I need to take this next step. We've got to establish where we are so we'll know what our next step is. How many think that sounds good? So that's what today is about, the three baptisms, establishing where we are, and where we need to go. Uh, let, let, let's determine where we are in our journey to discipleship and our walk to enjoy the fullness of what God has for us. Each of these baptisms serves a distinct and different purposes. We're going to try to move through them quickly and allow God to speak to us today. The first baptism is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. 
For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greek, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. This word baptize, baptizo, is to be plunged or to be immersed. Uh, And he's referring here, we are baptized into one body. He's using this to represent salvation, into one body. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 now. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. So here is the first baptism. The first baptism, and you may not have ever recognized this before, is salvation. The first baptism that you experience in your walk with God is salvation. You don't get any of the others until you go through the first, salva- first baptism. The first baptism is, baptism is salvation. And, and this Scripture gives us something very important here. He says, repentance leads to salvation. Repentance. It's that first important step. All right, let's go to Romans chapter 10, verse 10 now. We're going to pick up two quick things out of this verse. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Ron, I'm going to need a sip of water if you don't mind. Do you know the first man in the scripture uh, to believe and have it accounted to him under righteousness was Abraham? Abraham didn't live under the law of Moses. He lived before Moses, hundreds of years before Moses. But the Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him unto righteousness. So that's why we call him the father of our faith. That's why uh, when Martin Luther in the the Reformation, in in the Protestant movement, he, he made this battle cry in Latin from Romans chapter 1, verse 17. He said, sola fide, only faith. That there's nothing in this world that I can do to get me back to God. Only believe and have faith in Him. I can't do it. I can't get there on my own. Nothing in my works will do it. And this is what Abraham understood. Uh, and this is what we have to understand. This first baptism is how we are saved. Not because of works, but because we believe. So the first thing is, it's the belief of our, of our heart. But notice the second thing here. It's the confession of our mouth. Some of you may have, when you came to Christ, may have been led through what has been defined as, or has been called the sinner's prayer. Prayer that goes something like this. Someone says, repeat after me, dear Heavenly Father, dear Heavenly Father. Uh, I forgive me of all of my sins. Be the Lord of my life. I accept Jesus as the Christ, uh, that he died on the cross for my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Wash me with your blood. Something along those lines. How many of you nod your head at me if you said a prayer or something like that? If you're watching at home, maybe you said a prayer or something. We call that the sinner's prayer. There's nothing magic in the specific words of what we're saying. There's a purpose behind the, the, the what we're doing but here's what it's about it's about a confession of your mouth at some point you have to say it what if you had a heart problem uh, and you needed a, a bypass or a stent or you needed something and you needed a heart surgery you go to your doctor and you stand and, and before your doctor and he checks you out and does the x-rays and the CAT scans and the this test into that test and the heart monitor test he does everything and he says Okay, here's the deal. You need to have open heart surgery, and you need to do this bypass thing. And when you do, you'll be totally fine. You can go on and live your life. But you need to have this open heart surgery. Here's the problem. 
I can do a lot of things in my life, but you know one thing I can't do? I can't perform open heart surgery on myself. Can you? Can you crack your chest, cut your heart valve, move this? No, you can't do that. That'd be crazy. You can't do it. No matter how hard you try, you'd pass out in a heartbeat. You would never get there, would you? You'd never get it done. Just thinking about it, I'd get like weak in the knees. I'm like, ooh. So what do you do? The doctor, your surgeon, has all the tools that you need. He has the knowledge that you need. He has everything that is needed to do the surgery. But he can't do the surgery until you give him the go-ahead. He can't cut you open and fix your heart until you say, or, or if you're passed out and can't make your own decision, so, someone close to you says, do it, right? And then you sign 27,000 papers releasing him from any liability. But he can't do it until you give him permission. Think about this. God wants to save you, but he can't save you until you give him permission. He can't. You see, God didn't create the void between you and I. It happened in the fall. Our sin creates this massive divide that there's no way we can get. We can't act right enough. We can't act well enough. We can't do everything just right. We'll never get there on our own. All we can do is turn to Jesus. And God said, I have built a bridge, but all you have to do is ask. So we confess with our mouth. At some point, you believe with your heart and you confess with your mouth. When we do this, it is God's great plan and his great desire to rejoin the broken place between he and us that was broken during the fall, the canyon that sin has created between us and God that can only be caught, crossed by his grace. You can't get there on your own. But here's what I want you to understand about this first baptism. You're saved. What does saved mean? It's a, thrown, ter, ter, uh, excuse me, it's a term that is thrown around in the church quite often, uh, but it simply means you are saved from an eternity in hell. You've given your heart to God, you've confessed with your mouth, and now you have the assurance that you'll see Jesus in heaven. How many of you think that sounds good? But here's the truth of the Word of God. Your eternity is saved, your eternity may be safe, but you're not finished. That's not all there is for you. Jesus doesn't want you to stop there. This summer I had the wonderful privilege and opportunity to bring my family to SeaWorld in San Antonio. We bought our tickets, we stood in line in the heat, glaring down, it was so, so hot, and it's concrete, and you're just, you're just baking, and you're standing there, and the kids are like, I want to go, I want to see Shamu, I want to go, are we going to ever get, and you're waiting in a line, and line, and line, finally you go through, and they take the little, stick the little wand in your bag, and they make sure that uh, you're not bombing anything, and then you got to do your fingerprint, and scan things, I mean, it's like getting into the White House to go to SeaWorld, man. So you go all the way through, and you finally get through, and here you are, and there's the SeaWorld sign, and there's a guy dressed up in a Shamu, con, uh, uh, Shamu outfit, costume, and he's standing there ready to take pictures with you. And so what if you get through all that stuff, and you take a picture with Shamu, and then you go right over to the, uh, the, the gift shop, and you buy your overpriced stuffed whale, and you say, okay, kids, that's it. We went to SeaWorld. Time to go home. wouldn't make any sense 
You waited in the line. You went through all that stuff. You got there. And just before you were released into the wonderful goodness that is SeaWorld, the lines that are too long, the whale that splashes you with water that's freezing cold and smells bad. Bad. You miss all that stuff. You miss all the good stuff. We went, and all my daughter wanted to do was get soaked. That's all she wanted to do was get soaked. So we went down. We were the first ones or first couple people into the, the Shamu Stadium place. We go down into the splash zone, and we sit. she wants to sit on the front row. I'm like, no, Kennedy, I don't want to just get soaked to the bone today. I just, I just don't really feel like it. So we're going to sit like four rows up. So we sit four rows up. Shamu comes by. He's splashing people in the front row. He's not getting us. Kennedy is, ah! She's crying. You know, I've told you about her drama before. So she's doing all this. So she doesn't want to sit by me now because now she's mad at me because I wouldn't sit on the front row with her. And I said, hey, listen, there's seats for Go sit right there. Go sit down there. I watch you. No, no. She don't want to go without me. So she goes down there and sits by her Uncle Ryan to, to not sit by me. We get to the end, and I don't know if you've ever been. They've got this deal where they're going, Shamu, Shamu. And they want you to, you gotta, he's going to splash you with his tail, right? And so here we are. I'm like, oh, Jesus, this is going to be cold and wet. And here we are. You know, but, you know, Kennedy wants it. So here we go. Shamu splashes it. I look up, and I am drenched. I am soaked. Everything on me is just stinking and cold and wet. I smell like a fish. I smell like Jonah. Been in the belly of a whale for three days. And I look down, and my daughter is bone dry. I was so mad. Here's the truth, though. If we had stopped and just took our picture, got our Shamu, and went home, we would have missed all kinds of fun. My, my daughter rolled roller coasters. My son rolled a roller coaster. I mean, these are big feats for my kids who are scared of everything. So it was, it was a wonderful time we had as a family. But we would have missed it all if we would have stopped there. Here's what you have to understand about Jesus. Jesus said, it is better, it is to your advantage that I go away. You receive me, but don't stop just at the cross. There's so much more. The, the, Jesus said, I am the door. Jesus said, I am a door. I, the door is not the destination. The door is what gets you into where he wants you to go. So if we stop at the cross, we're missing all of the goodness that is living life to the fullest in the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't stop at the door. Can I get a great big amen? amen. <clears throat> so let's go to the second baptism now. I can make my iPad work. Here we go. Nope, I can't make it work. Matthew 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Go. Go is quite possibly the most expensive word in Scripture. Think about it. Jesus said go, and so for 2,000 years since that day, people have been building churches, buying plane tickets, going on boat rides to preach the gospel of Jesus, to make disciples. They've been traveling all over the world. Many have given their lives. Many have, have given everything they have to preach the gospel. Think about how expensive this word, the price that has been paid because Jesus said go, and people decided to do what Jesus said. Then he said make disciples. Watch here, second baptism. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The second baptism that we see is water baptism. If you want to be a disciple, you have to be water baptized. Second baptism is water baptism. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. Let's see if we can see the first two baptisms here. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Abraham was accounted to him under righteousness because he had faith, because he believed. So here's the first baptism. You are sons of God because you have faith. Second baptism. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Here is the second baptism, water baptism. To put on Christ, to be baptized into Christ. To be immersed or plunged into water. When you accept Jesus, your eternity is prepared, but that doesn't mean that you're free. You're a new person, but water baptism cuts off the old man, cuts off the old person. It joins you to Christ. Now, here's what you need to understand about water baptism. Water baptism is not for unbelievers. If you are an unbeliever and you get in the baptismal tank and I baptize you, you get in a sinner, you get in a, a dry unbeliever, you go down and you come up a wet unbeliever. Nothing happens. Because there's nothing magical in the water. Pastor Mike Hayes is one of my heroes in the faith. He tells the story when he was a kid in Flagstaff, Arizona, and there was a, a church next, uh, next door and so he would always go and ask the, the priest a thousand questions. He, he just asked question after question after question. And one day he had asked the priest all these questions. Just so many questions. And so as, as he's walking, the priest goes outside and he throws a thing of water out the back door. And so he asked the question, what are you doing? And the priest, uh, he, the priest said, well, I'm disposing of the holy water. So the next question for this young man was, what makes it holy? And by this time, he had had too many questions. He was just very upset, apparently. And as he turned and walked in, he shouted back out over his shoulder at, 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 at this young boy. He said, because I boiled the hell out of it. Some of you are going to get that tomorrow. <laughs> See, I told you. Some of you at home are right now like, I don't get it. No, it's okay. Here's the principle. There's nothing special about the water it's what we're doing. It's the symbolic act of burying our old man in the watery grave. Just as the Israelites passed through the waters in the Red Sea, their old life, their old hang-ups, their old habits were washed away. And baptism, when you go down in the waters of baptism as a believer, you come up in your second baptism and the old man is washed away and you become a new creation, creature. It's a baptism of deliverance that delivers us from our old life cleanses us and cuts us off. It, 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 it's totally okay for you to be baptized more than once. As a matter of fact, I know a few people who need another dip. You just need to take another dip. In, in, the, day, in the Bible days, certain wealthy people uh, would build baptismal tanks in their home. And every morning they would go down and baptize themselves as a reminder of the cleansing that happens when they're baptized into Christ. And so they would baptize themselves every day. They just said, i got to keep this old man down. And so they would just get baptized every day. Maybe we need another dip. 
You see where Jesus was baptized. Jesus received this second baptism. You can find it in Matthew chapter 3, Luke, uh, Mark chapter 1, Luke chapter 3, and John chapter 1. You, you, see, you see Jesus being baptized. Second baptism. First baptism, salvation. Second baptism, water baptism. I know we're taking our time and we're doing some basic fundamental teaching, but I want you to have the truth of the word of God. Third baptism. The third baptism is in the Holy Spirit or with the Holy Spirit. The words in and with in the Greek are basically interchangeable. So what we see in Acts chapter 2 is that the, Holy, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was poured out in a fresh new way on the day of Pentecost. Uh, last week we talked about Jesus and, and how the Spirit descended and remained upon him, about how he changed the deal. But let's go to Matthew chapter 3 verse 11 and let's look at something John says here. Watch, because you're going, to see two, you're going to see a distinction between two baptisms. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Watch here. John makes a clear distinction. There is water baptism, and you need to be water baptized if you want to be a disciple. But Jesus came to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. There is a distinction here. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Jesus is about to ascend into the Father. Last few words that he says to his disciples. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. Notice there that promise is capitalized. We learned last week that anytime you see something like this that where it shouldn't be capitalized, but it's, uh, it's a, the promise of a father is a title of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father. So it's referring to God. So Jesus said, uh, don't leave, but wait until the Holy Spirit comes. So they gather together. And they're praying, and they, and they spend some days praying and, and getting ready. We're going to break down this story more in the weeks to come. But in, in the first of Acts chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all gathered in one mind, in one accord. And, and here's what we see. We see the power of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit poured out on these men and women. We see them begin to speak in another language. They begin to speak in tongues. And Peter stands up and preaches one of the greatest messages that the world has ever seen. And he stands up and he quotes Joel chapter 2 verses 28. And he says, this is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he delivers this message. And at the end of this sermon... We pick up in verse 37. Now when they had heard this, speaking of the crowd, they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? I think this is a very important question for you and I today. As we discover where we are in the journey, here is the question that we should be asking. What should we do? Peter's response. Let's see if we can find the three baptisms. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sin and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's see if we can find them. The first baptism, repentance unto salvation. There it is. Repent. There's the first baptism. Number two, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. So here's number two. Be baptized, water baptized is what he's referring to. And then number three, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
three baptisms. Do you see them clearly there? Okay. <clears throat> then we see in verse 39 a great promise. For the, the, the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, even only the pastors and the elders. For this promise is to you and to your children and to your neighbor, but nobody who lives in 2012. No, no, no. What does it say? For this promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off. Now, I don't know about you, but I think living 2,000 years after Peter preached this message qualifies me and you as being afar off. I don't know. That seems like a long way off to me. And so here's what Peter says. As many as the Lord our God will call. All who are far off. If, anyone's, if anyone says to you, the Holy Spirit is not for today. The Holy Spirit is not at work in the church today. The Holy Spirit uh, in the baptism of the Holy Spirit was something that happened a long time ago. You take them to Acts chapter 2 verse 39 and you show them this scripture and you say it's for you and your children and all who are afar off as many as the Lord our God will call. Acts chapter 8. Let's skip forward a couple chapters here. So let's read a few verses. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and, Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes, with one accord, heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he ha was someone great, to whom they all have, uh, gave heed from the, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. Simon had them duped. Simon had them hoodwinked. He, they thought he had the great power of God, but really he was practicing sorcery. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. He had been, this was a powerful guy. But watch what happens in verse uh, 12. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Watch here. Let's see. Uh, back up verse 12. Let's see the, the first two baptisms. They believed what Philip was preaching. He was preaching the message, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of the kingdom. And secondly, both men and women were baptized. So they got the first two baptisms. Then watch what happens in verse 13. Then Simon himself also believed. This is a great victory. Simon the sorcerer believes in Jesus Christ. And when he was baptized, so now he gets the first two baptisms. How many of you know this guy has been scaring people and confusing people and practicing sorcery and suddenly everyone is delivered and he gets saved? Wow, this is a great victory for the early church. When he was baptized, continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. But we see something happen in verse 14. Now, when the disciples who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. Now, here's my question. In those days, travel wasn't easy as it is today. You couldn't jump in your beautiful vehicle and drive down a paved road to get to the next city. You walked or you rode a donkey or a camel or a wagon or something. It took you a while from get to place to place. The apostles in Jerusalem didn't just send any apostle. They sent Peter and John. 
Peter and John were two of the head disciples, man. They, they were way up the food chain. They sent some, some big guys to these people in Samaria where Philip was preaching. Who? When they had come down, why did they come? They didn't come to preach so they could be saved. They had already had that, right? They didn't come to baptize them in water because they had already had that. But watch. Prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. We're establishing here. let's, Let's read the next couple of verses. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They had been baptized in water, but the Holy Spirit hadn't baptized them yet. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. We see, um, we, we see something, a, a pattern developing, where there is a distinction between each baptism. And it's not this deal where you get what you get at salvation. You might get it all at salvation, but for these people, they didn't. So Peter and John came down to make sure that they got all three baptisms and they received the fullness of what God had for them. So Peter and John came down, not to preach the gospel that had already been preached. Not so they could say the sinner's prayer, done. Not so they could water baptize them, done. Peter and John came specifically to pray for them to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Do you see that there? I don't want you to think I'm making anything up now. Acts chapter 10. Peter decides he needs to have a little prayer meeting. So he gathers everybody in the house. He says, all right, guys, let's pray. You guys pray down here. I'm going to go up to the roof and prayer and pray. But he goes up the roof, and instead of praying, he falls asleep, falls into a trance. What a prayer warrior, huh? For any of you who have ever fallen asleep praying, you're not alone. There is hope for you yet and me. So while he's up there... God gives him these great visions uh, and tells him, Peter, what God has called clean, let no man call unclean. And the principle of what God is saying to him in this is that this message of Christ, this gospel of Jesus Christ, is not just for the Jews, but it's for the Gentiles. Because uh, the Jews, the Jewish leaders of this time, the Christian Jewish leaders, believed that this was only for other Jews. It was not for the whole world. It was only for Jews. And so what God is speaking to Peter and saying, no, 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 it is for the Gentiles as well. So go preach to them and make sure that they hear the message of the gospel and that they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So we pick up in verse 44. Uh, Because... uh, Cornelius, a centurion, believer, sends for Peter and says, hey, come and preach to us. Come and pray for us. Come and talk to us about this thing. We believe, but just come. So he comes. Verse 44. While Peter was still speaking, watch now. The Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word. And those with the, uh, of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. I don't know about you, but I'm really glad that Peter went up on top of that roof and took a nap so God could speak to him. Because when that happened, it released into the world the power of the Holy Spirit to fall on Gentiles. Now, if you are not a Jew, then you are a Gentile. In the New Testament, there are Jews, and then there's everyone else that they refer to as Gentiles. So, 
for me and you, this is a great story because now it means that not only can we receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only can we be water baptized, but we can also receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered. I don't, he was apparently responding to someone's question. Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Look, he's going through all the baptisms now. They've already believed. Now they've received the Holy Spirit. But hey, let's water baptize them. Verse 48. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And they asked him to stay a few days. So here we see very clearly all three baptisms once again. But we see something very important here. In the other scriptures I read to you, Peter said, repent, be baptized, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 8, Philip preached, they believed, then they were baptized, and then Peter and John came down, and the third baptism was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But in this scripture, we see the order flipped. And before they're baptized in water, we see them baptized in the Holy Spirit. So now, we have scriptural precedence that tells us that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit before you're water baptized. As a matter of fact, I've seen numerous people in my life who gave their heart to Jesus, were water baptized, and when they came up out of the water, in that moment, received the power of the Holy Spirit and were baptized in the Holy Spirit just right there, just boom. Because the order of the last two is less important. But they never come without the first baptism happening first without salvation happening first. You don't get the second two if you've never believed. You can't be filled with the Holy Spirit if you don't even believe in Jesus. Remember, uh, John said, there is one coming after me who is mightier than I that baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. Right? You remember that? We read that scripture in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. So how can you be baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire if you don't even believe in the one who is doing the baptizing? So the order of two and three can be flipped. They don't matter as long as you believe in him first. Three baptisms. Three baptisms. Paul said in Acts chapter 19, he was preaching to some men in Ephesus, and they had believed and been baptized. And they said, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. We don't even know if there is one. And Paul said, oh, yes, there is. And he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Because there is a distinction between each baptism. Salvation, water baptism, and baptism in the Holy Spirit. Let me show you two last verses in the book of Acts. We're going to go back to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to close this morning. Acts chapter 2, verse 17. This is the message that Peter preaches. Now, I want you to look on the screen right here, verse 17. I want to show you some verses. And it shall come to pass in the last days. Everybody note right there. If you've got your Bibles open, uh, hold your finger right there where it says last days. You got it? Now, flip back over or show us on the screens if you would. He is quoting Joel chapter 2, verse 28. So put on the screen for me Joel chapter 2, verse 28. Watch what he says. Now, now Peter is quoting and it shall come to pass afterward. Now, now, Peter is quoting Joel, but Joel did not say in the last days. 
Joel said afterwards. Do you see that? Joel says, it shall come to pass afterwards. Go back to, to Acts chapter 2. And it, and, but Peter says, and it shall come to pass in the last days. Peter didn't misquote Joel. Because what, what Joel was saying to us is that there is a before state and there is an after state. And something happens that shifts us from the before state to the after state. Something happens to change everything. Something happens to release us into the last days. People say, well, what are the last days? I've been hearing it was the last days my whole life. My parents said it. My grandparents said it. Yes, it's been the last days since, the Acts, since Acts chapter 2. Peter said, this is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel. It's been the last days for the last 2,000 years. That's not a specific framework of time. What it means, it's the last chapter of what God is doing on this earth. The last chapter of his fulfillment. So here's what he said. Peter is saying, listen, when Joel prophesied this hundreds of years ago, he prophesied that right now we're living in a before state. But there is coming a day afterward when the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. There is a before state, but there's also coming an afterward. The reason that Peter could say last days instead of afterwards is because the event that they had been pushing for and prophesying about had happened. That event was simply Jesus coming to the earth, dying on a cross, going into the grave, and being resurrected from the, from the grave and ascending into the heavens. And so now, Peter says, I can say in the last days... Because we're on the other side of the divider now. He was in the before state. We're in the after state. We're in the afterward now. We're in the last days. And because of that, here's what he says. I'm pouring out my spirit on all flesh. I believe that there are people in this room that you have been living in certain areas of your life in a before state. You've been living your marriage in a before state. Before the power of the Holy Spirit was poured out. Before Jesus died on the cross for you. You're living in, in, an, in, a, in a, a way that doesn't represent what Peter is talking about right here. Some of you in this room need to move in your marriage from the before state to an afterward. Where your marriage is full of the Holy Spirit. Some of you in, in your finances have been living in a before state. You've been struggling and straining and fighting the devil and everybody, all of his demons with him. And you've been in that before state. And the Holy Spirit hasn't come and descended and remained upon you. But today, I want you to know there's an afterward coming. Some of you have been fighting in your jobs, your businesses, and you've been fighting in a before state. But I want you to know today, it's shifting and we're moving into the afterward you've been fighting sickness in your body disease in your body whatever it is in your life I feel God so strong right now if you're watching at home wherever you are I feel God so strong saying to you 
that there's an afterward coming. An afterward. Would you stand with me? I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I will pour out my Holy Spirit. Jesus said, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I will pour out my Holy Spirit that comes with power, life-changing power, healing power, miraculous power, power to turn your situation around, power to change you from a before state to an after state. I want you to know today that there is an afterward here for you. And you don't have to live like you've done, but you can move forward.